Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How many of you grew up like I did with the belief that money was bad? Well, it turns out that that belief of the fact that money is bad could be ruining your life. You're afraid to make money. You don't know how to manage it. You're unable to give it away. How many of you can put up your hand right now and say, Jay, I know exactly what you're talking about. But my guest today is none other than Derek Kinney. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he is the uh, founder of Good Money Framework, which teaches you guys how to optimize your life as well as look at money in a good way. So money is not itself bad, and he teaches you how to manage your money in the best way possible. Derek is a good friend. He's a mentor of mine. We I've had several conversations before actually recording this podcast, which was loads of fun. But as Derek says, here's the truth. Life doesn't have to be like this for you. Money is not bad and good people like you should have more of it. Good money in the hands of good people gets good work done. And I highly agree with you. Derek has an awesome podcast called Good Money, Good Hands, Good Work, which you can go and check out for yourself. It's going to empower you to make money and use it for good. Derek interviews some of the world's top professionals, authors, influencers, and business leaders to inspire you to build your net worth so you can impact the world as well. In this conversation, I'm starting the week off with a massive bang. So you're welcome because I want to learn how to manage my money properly and not have this negative association revolving around it. So my friends, if you do get something from Derek's story, which is pretty pretty incredible. Don't forget to share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, you can watch the full video now over on YouTube. All the links are in the show notes below for Derek's podcast, his social media. So it's not hard to find it all. Don't forget before you leave to subscribe to the story box, continue to help build the community. If you love this conversation, there's many more just like it. So there's a huge backlog (laughs) if you are new to the show. Um, Thank you guys so much for everything that you do. I hope you guys are staying safe out there as well with the current climate too. So my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to learn about making good money and handling money the right way. And as we dive into the story box today and listen and learn from the incredible wisdom, the advice and the story of none other than my friend, Derek Kinney. Jay, thank you for having me. You're such a good friend. I love the work you're doing. I'm looking forward to our conversation together today. Likewise, my friend, I always, always uh, am up for a good chat (laughs) with you. 
I mean, usually it's me talking the most, but hopefully I'm trying to, I'm going to turn this around and make you talk a little more. (laughs) So it's my time to ask you all the questions. Now, we're just saying earlier that uh, you have, you've been a huge support uh, of the Storybox and you've listened to a lot of the episodes on there, which kind of makes me nervous because I don't think I can spin anything on you or surprise (laughs) you. Um, But I guess the first question that I do want to ask you sort of, going in line with all my other questions or the first question for every one of my other guests is what does success look like for you? Well, you know, and before I answer that, I want to say one thing to your listeners, Jay, I think the reason why I love your podcast so much and why it's so popular, you have something that not many people do and you have empathy and I hear it in your voice. I see it in your face And you're able to bring out the best in your guests just because you make them feel heard. And I want to say to that personally to you, because not everybody does that. A lot of times the show is about them. It's more the me show instead of the we show. And you do the we show really, really well. So congratulations on that. It's an honor for me to be here. But when I think about success, I think about, you know, what... Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about to have lived and made someone else's life better. You know, I think of myself as an extractor of potential. I have a real interest in investing in the lives of young people and just helping people really do some things they didn't know that they could do or tap into a belief that was there sort of latent, buried inside them. And to bring it to the surface is super powerful. And to do that later on in my adult life with people with their money to show them, look, it's not just making money, but really putting meaning to your money where you're making a difference in people's lives and you're making more money has been really powerful. And so that's what I define success, but also as a believer and and a Christ follower to be a good steward of the gifts I feel like God has given to me. And also to to raise children that will surpass anything that I've ever done, you know, Mm -hmm. to be a cheerleader for them, to be waving my pom poms on the sideline every day of their lives, to see them accomplish the dreams inside of them, not my dreams for them, but their dreams. That's how I think about success. Mm. Where did you create this kind of mindset on how did it really start for you? What was the... I guess, the very beginning for Derek. Well, it's interesting because I was born in Bellingham, Washington. So the Pacific Northwest, beautiful country there. My dad, though, we moved six times before the sixth grade. So he was a metallurgical engineer. He would either lose a job, take a new job, get transferred. So I find myself then in Arlington, Texas in the sixth grade no friends, starting over again. So I felt like I was sort of behind the curve already. Some of those students had been at the same elementary school all six years and known people and so forth. The problem was that growing up, I was really sickly as a kid. I had asthma really, really bad. And so my mom, God bless her, she could, if there was an aircraft flying above the house, making all kinds of noise, and she heard my breathing, she could still wake up and be by my bedside like that. It's the most amazing story. And so what happened was, is I found myself, you know, taking a lot of medicine for that. I couldn't go outside at recess. Um, And it really kind of set me back a lot. But it was, you know, it was something I just had to fight through. Mm -hmm. So what happened then to couple on top of that was um, I was teased a lot for my nose, candidly. You know, when you think about noses, I think I got the the value size. I'll put it that way. Same here, (laughs) don't worry. (laughs) Okay. And people let me know about it. There was a lot of cruelty that went on. But but you have those choices and it was hard and it was a dark time for me, a lonely time. And my mom gave me a book and it was by a woman named Judy Zarefa, a book called Go For It. And there was a chapter in the book about how to be popular. And so I read the book and it was really life breathing. You ever get something that just, just, it's like on a hot summer day, drenches you with cool water. That's what that book was for me at just the time of my life I needed it. And I then sought out to begin working myself out of this guy being teased to someone who could be a friend of people. And I had this idea 
to get involved in student government. And so I began to run for office in high school. And so I had this idea my junior year, I was going to go counter to what everybody else did. So I had campaign posters, but I used really, really small font. And I thought people would have to walk up to the posters to read what it said. And therefore, I would stand out, I would win. Well, it turns out people are busy. And if they can't see it clearly, they just walk right by it. <laughs> so that, that election didn't turn out very well. But the next year, I had this idea in our school, there were sort of all these silos of people. There were the people who listened to all the rock music. There were the cowboys. There were the real studious people, the athletes. And all of them had their sort of cliques, but nobody was really together. And the idea was, what if I reached out to the leaders of all of those organizations and said, hey, I want to take a picture with you endorsing my campaign and let's all come together, all sort of the nobodies, and together we can become somebody. Mm. Well, picture this, Jay, all around the school, there's a picture of me with the leader of all the rock and roll kids and a leader with all the, the cowboy kids and the athletes and the students and, and the, the scholars. And what happened was suddenly now everybody became somebody and we won that election. And it just taught me that regardless of the asthma, regardless of being teased, if I can help other people be important and valued and feel heard, I can do a lot of things. And so that election wasn't a win for me. It was an election for all of us because suddenly we realized that together we can really accomplish a lot. Mm. So for someone that is not feeling like they are valued at the moment in school or even in their workplace, and what, what, some, what are some things that you can help them gain in their life in terms of influence, leadership, and knowing your worth? You know, one of the lessons that I learned, and this was a, uh, a mistake in my plan, was I didn't really let people know who I really, really was. Mm -hmm. I was being someone who I thought others wanted me to be. And so what that led to was here I was the class president, but I was lonely as lonely could be because I felt like I was having to be what other people wanted me to be. It wasn't until years later that I realized, you know what? It's okay to express my opinion. It's okay to be me because that's really where the deep relationships and the friendships emerge. So to answer your question, Jay, what I would tell people is be comfortable in your own skin and know that there's other people thinking the same thing you are right now whether you're teased, whether you're sort of the outcast at school, you're the person that people look down on. It's often isolating to realize and to think that I'm the only one. I'm sort of the victim in this story. And I would just say to people, there's a lot of other victims in the story. And if you can come together, there's a story of redemption that can be rewritten and some powerful chapters can be about your story. What age were you when you sort of realized all this? So this was around uh, 15, 16. Mm. Uh, I, was, I was working, you know, when I was 15, the goal was to get my driver's license as quickly as possible. These days, we've got friends of ours that their parents are dropping them off at college because there's no motivation for a driver's license. Who knows? Not my monkey, not my circus. But it's important for people to realize this is their story. And especially right now with social media, with all of the inputs that are out there, it's so easy to fall prey to the comparison game. And I think we all need to realize, and I do this myself, that social media is simply a highlight reel. Yeah. It's not the whole game. It's simply the best 10 plays of the game. And that's how we're proud to promote. And so if you can realize that everybody else has struggles, and you know, Jay, it's funny because one of the things that helped me was I would often walk into a room, a little bit of anxiety struggle, and you begin to compare yourself to other people and you think of, oh, that person's better looking than me or they're more successful. And, and you begin to doubt yourself before you walk into the party. Yeah. And then I began to realize, wait a minute, they're looking at me the exact same way. And so what I began to realize was don't make it about me, make it about them and just ask questions about them and engage them in discussion. And suddenly I began to really enjoy social settings. Mm. And so it was just a matter of I'm 52 years old now. Every day, it's a process of getting more comfortable in my own skin. It's just a, an evolving process. I feel for a lot of young kids now that are going through 
sort of like this wokeism and cancel culture. It's just making it a, a ton. It, it's putting more pressure on them. It's making it a lot worse for their mental capacity as well. It's a lot different to when, you know, a couple of years ago, and it wasn't that long ago for me that social media was sort of starting to just really find its footing. And even then when it first started, you could start seeing the sort of like the impact that it was making. And most of the time it wasn't a good impact. I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Social media is a tool. It should be used for the right reasons, but we, as human beings, innately, we, we struggle with, we love the drama, right? We love creating this sense of uh, falseness. It's not, it's not true. And then that kind of influences people in the wrong way. And then we wonder why we have so many problems, so much anxiety, young kids. I mean, I used to work with kids and they were asking me all these questions that they found on social media that no six-year-old or seven-year-old should ever have to know uh, at that age because you're still going through that development stage. And I think your age that you realize this at age 15 and 16 it's important for a young person listening to this right now that it was that you are the age that Derek was right now to listen to the wisdom and the advice of you at just uh, going back to like a 15, 16 year old. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I think, you know, I always ask myself as an adult now, what would I have wanted when I was younger and how can I fill that pain point? You know, there's a business club that I have had the pleasure of teaching our kids' school. And I talk about investment concepts and really talk about the soft skills and how to get people to know you, like you, and trust you. And sometimes I think, you know, I often joke with my own kids that if I say something, it goes in one ear out the other. Yeah. But Jay, if you were to say something to my kids, it'd go in one ear and it would stay there. Mm. And there's a power of that, of an other person's voice. And I think, especially for those of us listening right now, I would ask you, make sure that you're using the power of your other person's voice, because there's an entire generation that will listen to what you say, and it's a powerful opportunity to really impact them for good, mm. because they might be able to, to listen to you, whereas to their own parents, they might just tune it out. That's the radio station they've given up listening to a long time ago. Mm. I love how you said how you said that. Uh, one of my very first guests on the on the story box, he said to me, "Everyone is a leader. You have the choice to be a good one or a bad one. So you got to make sure that everyone is looking up to you. Doesn't matter yes. who it is. You have a voice. You have a story, which is more powerful actually than your voice. It's more or less people see what you do." And they're more likely to follow along with that rather than everything that you say, even though words are powerful, I'm not diminishing that at all, but be very mindful, be very careful. Don't walk on eggshells. Definitely don't do that, but just be, just be cautious with, because you can make the difference between someone actually, you know, going about the, the best possible things in, in their life or the worst possible things. So it's very true. Well, I would just add to that. I think it's important for young people to see our humanness. Mm. I think even as adults, you know, I think about peer pressure a lot. When I was in school, there was peer pressure to have the coolest pair of shoes and you wanted to have the coolest pair of jeans. And if you woke up one day and there was a fresh pimple on your face, you're like, oh my gosh, my life is over. And all, all that stuff, so much peer pressure. Then I thought as adults, it would end well, now it just got more expensive. Now the peer pressure is what type of house do they have? What type of car do they drive? Mm -hmm. And this is interesting. Where do their kids go to school? Mm -hmm. All of those things then cause people to buy things they don't need to, in most cases, impress people who don't even care. Yeah. And all of that can be very detrimental for our kids to see this treadmill that we put ourselves on of the comparison game. Mm -hmm. I just think right now with coming out of COVID, it's like a big reset button and all of us had this chance to keep pressing to say, you know what, it's time to be me and it's okay to be me. And it's really good to be me because there's only one of me and I want to make this the best me that I can be. That's you're special. You're unique. You should own that and value that. And um, thank you for sharing that, Derek. I want to sort of um, move the conversation a little bit more towards uh, the career progression that you sort of made in your, in your life. So what did you want to be when you grew up after you left school? You know, I always had an interest in politics. I wanted to own my own business. 
And growing up, I just enjoyed making money. It's funny because I did all kinds of things to make a little bit of money around the house. Uh, I went around the neighborhood and cleaned driveways uh, for money, you know, oil stains and dirt, those kind of things. And I had this idea to inspect my parents' bikes and my sister's bike and bikes around. So I made up this little one page bike inspection sheet, you know, check the chain and the seat and the handlebars, all this stuff. And then the idea was to make a little bit of money. And I made this amortization chart. I put it on the back of my closet. So if I could talk my parents into borrowing, say $5 from me, they have to pay me back, you know, $5 and 10 cents for interest. So I think I've always had an interest in, <laughs> in money. Now, so fast forward to college, my dad always told me, just get your degree. It's a stepping stone for things yet to come. So I had an interest in communication. So my degree is actually in communication. I took one business class in college. And when I graduated with a communication degree, I thought I'd be welcomed with open arms into the job force. And all that was available were working for like a nonprofit or some obscure companies. So I took a job at a software company locally, sort of oversold myself a bit. But when I got there, you know, I was sort of a, a kind of a suit and tie kind of guy, kind of dressed up a little bit. Well, at this office, Jay, these guys wore shorts and t-shirts. They brought their dogs to work. This was a tech firm that I was the one non-techie working at. I'm the marketing guy. And what happened was, this was my first job out of college and this was a small business. And so I encountered it pretty quickly when my first paycheck bounced about two months into the job. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh. So literally I wrote my tithing check to the church and the church calls, hey, Derek, I hate to tell you this, but your check bounced. I mean, nothing worse than bouncing a check to the church, for goodness sakes. Well, what happened? I thought I did something wrong and messed up my checking account. Turned out it was the boss didn't have enough money in the account oh. to actually cash the check. So that was that was number one. Then this had to be three months later. And this became more common on a Friday at five o'clock. I had plans with my wife. We were going to do something for the weekend. My boss emails us, hey, tomorrow's a work day. Need everybody here all day on Saturday. We're like, what? So that blew that plan out. And then the paychecks bounced again. And I realized, okay. And so what happened here, Jay, was, and I thought about my dad, and I'll tell you why. My dad always had aspirations to make more money, have his own business, but there was fear. Mm -hmm. There was fear that he had inside of him that prevented him from doing it. He would talk to me about it all the time about doing it. He just wasn't able to do it, if that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I reached this fork in the road one day and I realized, oh my goodness, this was the moment that my dad chose the other path because I realized I needed to have my own business. And so what I began to do was I always loved finance. I began to study on my own to get my financial planning licenses. Mm -hmm. So I would go to Dallas on Thursdays, drive back on the weekend study. So it took about six months, but I eventually was able to leave my job and actually go and start a financial planning business. So I was told, Derek, you're not going to make it. You have no cash reserves. You have no business knowledge. You have no contacts. But it's that proverbial burning your ships where, look, I have no option. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to give the wheel a spin and I'm going to keep spinning until I win. Mm. And there were people to this day that I use as motivation that said, Derek, you're not going to make it. And I would never tell them that, but I want to make sure that I never tell someone else that because the wrong person could receive that the wrong way. And that could they could become the dream squisher for that person. And I'm very thankful that people then came alongside me and said, hey, you can do this. Mm. There's something interesting that you mentioned there about how your dad had fear towards making more money. And my two questions coming from that is, uh, so why did your dad have the fear in the first place? So where does the fear actually come from? And did you have any fear as well? And why do you think is Four questions, actually. Why sure. do you think you didn't have that fear or did you? This is like a presidential news conference. I've got to remember all the questions at one time and answer them sequentially. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. So in terms of my dad, my dad would always tell me nothing ventured, nothing gained. And when I played football as a kid, he would send me articles about other running backs that faced adversity. So he had a positive mindset 
He just couldn't take the risk mm. is what it was, Jay. It was that four-letter word that holds so many people back. It was the risk. Could he do it with a family? What would it mean? And so that's what led him not to do it. And it really led him into a series of jobs that he was good at and he basically tolerated, but it wasn't life-breathing to him. So then to me, seeing that, and I didn't really appreciate that until I was older and I could really understand because I appreciated mom and dad and the upbringing they gave me, but I realized, okay, if I don't choose this now, that's the path I'm going to be on. And I simply couldn't do that. I couldn't do that for my wife, for my future family. So did I have sleepless nights? Yes. But what I found was there was this internal belief, Jay, that I was able to go back to because I had taken risk earlier in my life. I had been teased before. I had been called names before. I had worked at a young age. I had gone through a couple of student elections and, and those kind of things and faced some rejection, faced some hardship just on a minor level. But it gave me the perspective that if I was going to do this, now was the time to do it. And I, what I realized was the risk was actually low once I thought about it. Mm -hmm. If I didn't do well in this new career, I could go back and start something else or go back and get reemployed. You know, the stakes weren't that high for me at that point. But when I was told you didn't have enough cash reserves, you weren't going to make it, I was told early on by a mentor that just face adversity and begin to embrace adversity and expect it. And the more you expect it, you're not going to get derailed. There, there's a couple that my wife and I knew, I'll shift gears a bit in our, in our Sunday school class when we first got married. And, you know, once a month we meet together and we talk about the usual young couple things. We're not making any money. Our kids aren't sleeping. You know, the bills are too much. And this one couple I remember would always talk about, there was always a problem. There was always a cloud of, of just dog doo-doo over their head all the time. And they would always say one thing, Jay, they'd say, once we get past this, then it's going to get better. Well, then a month would go by and another problem would come up and they'd say, once we get past this. And the problem with them was they realized they were always thinking it was always going to get better and not embracing the fact that that's just part of life. I mean, we know that psychologists tell us that the average person has two to three crises per year interrupted by the occasional emergency. So what that means is our lives are either going into crisis or out of crisis all the time. That's just called life, which is another four-letter word. And once we embrace that concept, it made life a whole lot easier for me, not because of what was happening, but because how I chose to see it. Mm. The roller coaster ride of life, right? There's, yes, you know, well said. You can go up a little bit, then you go straight down, then you go the quick turns, left, right, <laughs> all the jagged edges, everything is the fun of it. So I say strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. Strap um, it in tight. Oh, very tight. So I'm, I'm curious about... Um, is it wise to, because you mentioned taking risks and thinking about the risk, is it wise to actually think too much about the risk? Because that can lead to, in my opinion, that can lead to overthinking it and then more fear of actually stopping us from actually doing it in the first place. Right. So my philosophy on this, and it may be one that not everybody agrees with, but I think you'll see my point. We only get one life. Mm. And my philosophy is I want to make it a life worth reading about later on. A buddy of mine told me recently that, you know, Derek, with all the social media, do you want to live the kind of life that when your kids are older, looking back on your Facebook and your Instagram and they say, man, mom and dad were duds. They did nothing but sit around and just watch TV. Or are they going to say, man, they lived a killer life. They made an impact. They used their life to benefit others. Other people are better because of them. And that's the kind of life that I want to live. And so when I think about it, what I think about, Jay, are the stakes. Mm -hmm. Think about what's at stake if I don't take the risk. And there's a couple of stakes. One is when I had my financial planning business prior to selling it about a year ago, I had about seven employees. And so the more value that we provided and added to our clients, I was helping provide for their families to give them a good living, good insurance, a good work environment. And so that was me helping make their world better. 
But also I think about if I didn't take that risk, they wouldn't have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But then I think about the clients I got to serve and the relationships. It wasn't enough just to make good money for clients and their returns were good and those kind of things. But those are lasting relationships I got to walk alongside as they graduated college, as they got their first job, as they had their first child, their grandchild. When a spouse passed away, walking alongside the family, all of those are indelible imprints in my mind that are helping shape me into the person that I am. Mm. But what I keep going back to was, do people feel heard and understood? Mm. You know, empathy for me is something that really, really runs deep. And, you know, oftentimes we think about talking to somebody about their money. What you're really not talking about is their money. It's really what they want to do with it. What do they want their life to look like? The experiences they want, how do they want to make a meaningful difference? I was just simply the guide or a tool to help them achieve what it is was in the depths of their heart. And I wanted to help pull it out so it could really breathe freely. Mm. I love your message about creating the right perspective around money because money is just a tool. We create the meaning behind that tool. Same with social media. And I think we've been indoctrinated to think that more money is a bad thing, especially in Christian circles, I find. Uh, I was brought up with that mindset. More money equals not like you can't, you can't have that. You've got to have enough. Or if you don't have uh, enough money, you're not tithing, God's not blessing your life. So there's all these, these stigmas, these fears that are created mostly by people to get you either to give more because then you're going to receive more blessing or you don't give more and you get afraid and, and what have you. So, but what I'm, what I'm curious is, so this, this whole idea of good money, um, can you please share to people what good money actually looks like? Yeah. So let me talk about a problem. There's a problem that many people have right now, and many of them are grappling with, what do I do with it? And some of them may not even see it as a problem. And that is, I go to a job or I have a business and I make money and I then pay my bills. I treat myself to some things. I save money, then I retire and whatever's left gets passed on. Now, making money itself can be temporarily satisfying, but I would make the case it's not lasting fulfillment. In other words, when you lay your pillow, lay your head on your pillow at night, you lay there thinking, wow, we increased sales a lot today. I've got a lot of money in the bank account. Or do you think about, man, we helped educate some kids today. We stopped child sex trafficking today. We helped put a dent in poverty today. We brought some right to the wrongs of the world today. That to me epitomizes the life worth living. So let me go back a bit, Jay. I built a financial planning practice over 25 years and we went through ups and downs in the market. Clients did very, very well. Some clients, you know, as, as things ebbed and flowed. But one of the things I saw was missing was the concept of meaning. Mm. And people would ask about, you know, Derek, we're doing well financially, but is there more? Is there more to life? Now, not everybody says that. Some people listening feel like they're barely making ends meet. And so I can empathize with their situation and everywhere in between. And what, it, what led to that was a model of what I called a, a good money framework. Mm. And step one of that is what's called the generosity purpose. So what this is, is when you can have a moment of stillness and you think about what is a cause that you want to make a difference in? What is an injustice, Jay, that you feel like is just not right? What's a wrong that you want to right? And when that belief and that emotion that you attach to it is so strong that you simply have to do something about it, that's where the generosity purpose has fuel and fire to it. So here's what people can then do. Let's say that someone listening has a business. Well, I'll give you an example. I had a couple come in the office. This was about five years ago. And you know those relationships where you can just tell something is wrong with someone without them uttering a word. It's just their body language. They just kind of slink into the chair. Yeah. So that this is what happened to this couple. So we had some small talk. And I said the obvious question, look, it's obvious something is bothering you. Tell me what's going on. And so he chimed in. He said, Derek, I've got this great business. My kids are working in it. 
but I'm not excited about it at all. I feel like I'm mailing it in. I'm just showing up every day, coming home. It's doing good, but I'm not really feeling like I'm making an impact. And I said to him, I don't know where this came from. And in the moment I said, what are some causes that you care about? Well, the question caught him off guard. He took a step back in his chair, kind of sat back. He said, you know, on a recent vacation, we went to a village overseas and the, the guide we were with said in this village, they really need a school building for, their, for the kids here. They're, they're severely undereducated because they can't have a centralized place to do their schoolwork. Mm-hmm. Well, he made a note of that and then things got busy when he got back and just kind of put it to the side. And he said, you know, if I could, I would love to build a school for that village. And I said, what if you did this? What if you made a goal over the next 12 months to increase your business by a certain percentage and you would take a percentage of that and give that to that school? His eyes got as big as saucers, Jay. And he said, that's brilliant. So fast forward now, he comes back in the office three months later. He looks like a new guy, man. He's younger. He's into it. He's jacked up. I mean, this guy has life on a string. And he says, Derek, you're not going to believe this. When I left, I was a bit suspicious about implementing what you said, but we did it. We're already up 20% for the year now. We've already funded half of that school. Now, Jay, I'm not a real emotional person, but here were two men across the table sharing tears because I saw a person transforming in front of me from where he was, lifeless, no meaning, to now making an impact in people's lives. And, and this is the key, the foundation of the Good Money Framework, he was making more money himself. So one of the giving fallacies, Jay, is this, that let's say that I want to give to a foundation or an organization I believe in. Well, the common perspective is I've got the money. When I give it, they receive it. So they're the winner. Then I'm the loser. Mm -hmm. I'm losing money to give it. What I'm saying is we're going to take a big eraser and erase that off the board. And we're redoing that and saying, look, we can show you how to make more money because you're putting your generosity purpose behind it. It's fueling it. You then can choose what percentage of that you want to give away. Some people we work with, and we've helped thousands of people all over the country do this. They choose to take all the extra gain and they give it away. Some say I'm going to take 10%, 15%, 20%. Or they want to say, I just want to have a better lifestyle and I want to give. It's like those choose your own adventure books when I was a kid. The end of each chapter, you read the chapter and then you get to pick if you want to seize the castle or go to the next village, turn to page three or turn to page 17. What I want to help create for people is their own choose your own adventure book, but using money that's often been villainized. It's been called bad. It's been called, if you have too much money, then you're greedy. I want to erase all of that and say, you know what? I want you to go make money and a lot of it, but make it ethically, morally, but use the power of money for good. Mm -hmm. And that's where people then on Monday morning, they're excited to go to the office they once dreaded to go to the building where they work at because they're working for a purpose and not just to get off at five o'clock so they can slump into their lazy boy chair and flip on the TV. I love that story. I really do. And do you believe that it's ultimately bad to chase money? Well, what I would ask you the question is, what's the intent of the chase? If you're simply just chasing money, that to me is futile. That's like that circle that just keeps circling and never, ever ends. Because a chasing of money in its purest form leads to a lack of fulfillment. Mm. It just leads to to nothingness. There's really no lives being changed. And you're simply wearing yourself down mentally and physically. And I would even say financially, you know, if you don't change the brakes on your car, eventually they just grind to a halt. And that's what people do just chasing money. But let me change that script and flip it a bit. If you're chasing, how can I add value to people's lives? How can I identify pain points people are experiencing? And how can I ease their pain? How can I make their lives measurably better? Then I believe their money starts to chase you. And that's where the catalyst occurs. It's all our perspective on it. And what I'm talking about with the good money framework is we want to add so much value to people's lives. 
and then add in there, here's why we do it. Here's the fuel behind our product or services. The more that we help people improve their lives, you're helping play a bigger part in helping make the lives of people who may be hurting, downtrodden, hungry, whatever their issue is, you're playing a bigger part in that. And what I find is, and this is what business owners love about this, Jay, people will often pay more because of the intangible value they're getting. A lot of times people think, well, I need to reduce my prices to make more money, to sell more product, to get more people buying my service. I would counteract that and say, look, people will pay for quality. People will pay for the story. If you, let's say, for example, there's five realtors and they're all equally competent, equally trustworthy, equally good negotiators. But one of those five says, Jay, I know you're about to buy a house. Anybody that buys a house or sells their house through me, I take a percentage of it and I will make a donation to the charity of your choice because I'm helping you get your dream home and helping people locally improve their lives. All things being equal, which, which realtor would you pick? I mean, you pick the one that wanted to give something back to the community. And yeah. so what that does is, it also ends the commoditization of people's businesses. People always try to compete on price. They compete on who has the slickest marketing flyer. They compete on, and people can buy a house from anybody, mm. but they can only buy a house from one person who says, I want to make everybody else's lives better as well. Now, they may make a little bit less in commission now, but we're in the long game. They're thinking about a customer relationship that lasts well past this house this is the second house and the third house and their kids and their friends who all say, man, this person was a great person to work with, but he's also helping make our community better. Mm -hmm. And that's where we tie in money with meaning and profit with purpose and passion. I needed to hear all that. <laughs> so thank, thank you for sharing it because I always sure. say to people, look, I don't, my heart's not in chasing money and I know the money's going to come eventually um, I am focused on serving people. I'm focused on building, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. And then I, I pray like my, my mom and I were having a conversation the other day, actually about this. She was saying, I don't know if you've noticed Jay, but we have struggled financially all your life. Like it hasn't, hasn't stopped, hasn't eased. And we have worked our absolute butts off to get out of debt financially. And I've, I've made plans and, more more recently now I've, I've sort of started focusing my perspective around the right forms of earning money and trying to get myself out of my parents debt and because I, I don't I don't love money I have money I only use the amount that I need I'm perfectly comfortable I love serving others so yes that for me is more important I just want to take care of my parents first and foremost I want to once they're comfortable and set up, then I don't care how much money comes in or makes. I want to have enough that is obviously comfortable and, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, I think that's like a dream for a lot of people. And I've always been, I've always been curious about the steps to actually get there. Like, cause I'm still young and I want to sort of be able to provide that while I'm still young uh, right. and, and healthy. So I've like, there's a good money framework help to provide because I know there's a couple of people that are probably listening to this that are around the same sort of uh, situation. So there's a good money framework help provide people the tools and the strategies to get themselves out of that sort of uh, stuckness, I guess, for lack of a better yeah. word. I love that word, that stuckness. I, I love that. I may start to use that myself. You know, what, what's interesting is I, as I worked with clients for 25 years, helping them achieve their goals and, and working through a strategy and a game plan, what I realized was it's all about the starting point. You know, if you're going to watch the Indianapolis 500, there's a starting point that all the cars agree to and they go around. If all the cars start at different spots, it would be really, really confusing. And what the good money framework does is it reshuffles the starting point. Mm -hmm. And it says, instead of most people starting off with, look, I just want to make money. I want to get out of debt. I want to be closer to my grandkids. Those are great goals. And I will not knock those goals at all. They're very meaningful goals. But when push comes to shove, when life gets hard, when you're at the end of your life and you're looking back thinking, wow, what I wish I would have done 
it goes back to that generosity purpose. And what that does is it actually speeds up people's ability to reach their goals. Now, how does that work? How could giving money actually help you make more money? It's a it's a mathematical anomaly that we see has impacted, again, thousands of people all over the country and growing. And it's because you get focused. There is a determination. Let me give you an example, Jay. We've had a situation when my son was young, he was in a very tragic accident and we didn't know what was going to happen for a couple hours. And in that moment, I got really, really clear. Anything extraneous was pushed out of my mind. I was laser focused. It was all hands on deck. I wanted to do everything I could to help provide for my son. And I give that visual because so much of our life, we're simply floating through distraction. There's ads on the highway, there's social media, there's just, we simply go from checkpoint to checkpoint and we never really take time to press our own personal pause button to focus on what's important to us. And what I'm saying, I want the listeners to hear very clearly All of you listening have a pain point that you want to solve, whether it's something you experienced as a kid, you may be experiencing it right now that you'd say to yourself, if I had all the money in the world, here's what I would do. What would you give it to? What ills would you want to make right? And that's the starting point there. And then you begin to say, as I pay off this debt, I'm going to give a percentage of my money to whatever that cause is. It may be for some of our listeners, the church, it may be this organization, this cause, whatever it is. But that's the starting point because then you're making incremental impact along the way. So many people, Jay, will tell me, you know, Derek, I don't have any money to do anything with right now. I'm going to wait until I'm making more money, until I've saved more money, then I will give more because it'll be more meaningful. Now, mathematically, you may be correct because the time value of money says, if I invest money today, 10 years from now at a certain interest rate, yes, it will be worth more. But in the giving economy, it flips itself, meaning that a smaller amount given today has a bigger impact because it has now 12 months, a year, 10 years worth of impact that you can make. That's where the math really changes for people. So again, I want people this, it's so simple, but it's such a, I call call it the good money revolution because people are joining in and they're saying, Derek, this makes sense. I want to start adjusting what I do to make an impact now in the causes that I want to believe in. I want to make this world better, but there's so much pressure to think I've got to make the world better. As one of my guests famously said, Derek, if you want to change the world, start by walking across the street. That was yours and my friend Bob Goff that said that. And it was so powerful, Jay. What it meant was, look, look about three feet away from you. Look around you, ask your kids, ask your family, where are the needs? And they're there. When you put up your antennas to give, believe me, you'll get a really good reception. Mm. That's powerful. really is. What has your wife, Derek, taught you about managing money? So my wife? Yes. Well, it's interesting you ask about that because when we first got married, I was the guy that tried to do it all. I was managing the day-to-day and I was also investing for the future, okay? Here's what I realized very quickly. I was really, really good at managing the investments for the future. I loved it. I was horrible at managing the day-to-day. It was terrible. Didn't enjoy paying the bills, managing that piece. So one day I realized and just swallowed my pride and said, honey, you're such a good organizer. You're able to always think ahead. She has a good strategy mind. And once I gave her the day-to-day, things got dramatically better. Even our relationship got better. And I joke about now, you want to make sure you're in the right lane in your relationship when it comes to money. If you're going to manage both the day-to-day and the long-term, great, but define your lane and stick with it. Because if not, there's going to be be a big financial collision that may occur years from now. What's been the worst piece of financial advice you've ever received from someone? Well, I would tell you the worst piece of advice was don't take risk, that it's better to stay in a corporate job, work your way up and pay your dues and do that. That was probably the worst advice I've ever gotten. Not that I don't have many clients that have done that, nor do I support doing that. But to say that blanketly was not good advice for me. 
Okay. I'll tell you what was good advice. When I began to look at buying my first financial planning practice, I was growing organically very strongly, but I wanted to expand more quickly. I went to a banker and at the time, there was nobody lending to buy financial planning practices. They didn't understand the model of recurring revenue. But this banker who I trusted said to me, Derek, I can't lend you any money, but here's the advice I would give you. He said, if you have to take all of your retirement accounts out and pay the penalty and pay the taxes, I would do it because this deal looks really, really good. Mm -hmm. And he died about five years after telling me that, but I kept the notes that he gave to me. And I look at that on a regular basis because it's a reminder that sometimes going the least traveled path is the best path for you. Now, quick story, when I bought that practice, all hell broke loose. People violated their non-compete agreements. It was terrible, had to go to court. It was awful. There were times I thought about bankruptcy. Do I think about cashing all the chips in? But what coming back to me, my wife was the kick in the pants. She said, Derek, when things get tough, you always rise up. You always rise up when things get tough. And she said, Derek, it's time to move forward. And I think I needed her to pull me back from the forest and see the trees in that moment. And that's when things got better. I made some moves. I actually moved the office across the highway, was able to start bringing in new business. And we then bought two other businesses after that. And I would tell you, even though I lost money initially, we actually made the most money off that transaction because of the life lessons I learned. You know, sometimes there's school, then there's the school of hard knocks, and that often pays the highest dividends. Mm. You're the eagle, man. Yeah, eagle. You got to soar high above the 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 trees and see where you're That's actually right. going. And eagle. And by the way, yep. I'm excited about your book. Oh, <laughs> I think you're well. Your story is one that needs to be heard and told, and a lot of people need to hear that. So I could not be more excited to to help support you in that. I appreciate that, man. It's, it's really um, humbling coming from you. You know, I mean, I did not expect you to reach out to me or anything like that and and begin this friendship. So it's been an amazing, amazing ride, man. So thank you for everything that you've, you've been doing and you've done for me. And I have no doubt this friendship will continue for many more years to come. Um, well, I appreciate I that. Get, yep, you go. Well, one thing I was going to tell you, and this is a lesson I learned recently was Oftentimes, I'm 52 years old, there's this perception that the older person has the wisdom and wisdom only goes south, okay? So I'm having coffee with a friend and he begins to give me, he's half my age and I begin to get some ideas from him and a voice inside me says, Derek, you need to listen to what he's telling you. And what I realized was wisdom goes north and south. It's a free flow. And the wisest people realize and receive that flow north and south. And even in you and I's relationship, to see how well you have done podcasting, bringing out the stories of people, I got to tell you straight up, it's inspiring to me. I know it's inspiring to your listeners, but I as one person am inspired by what you're doing and it motivates me to keep doing it. So just so you know, you know, what you're doing is not just pulling stories out, but you're also helping other people create new stories in themselves, which is really good. Thank you for that, man. And you're yeah. right. I totally agree with the wisdom factor. I don't think, I think society has created this persona around age, like a young person can't be wise because they haven't lived enough life yet. Experience has taught me the complete opposite. And yeah. someone said to me the other day, you know, God will actually make you live a number of lives and a number of years in one year. So be prepared for it. And like in my life, especially because I'm, I'm still quite young and I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. I'm still learning. And I think that is the, the joy of life because when we stop learning, we stop living, we stop growing. And then what's the purpose of life then? It's just, we, we cease to really be human that when that happens and all kinds of problems come our way as a result. So I, I love listening to old people, but I also have an open heart and mind for young people too, because sometimes I've been literally shocked and, and shaken to my core from what a young person has told me. So, you know, like it's, I, I always laugh when, when I hear people actually say to me, you know, your age goes against you. And I'm like, no, I mean, in real estate, we were taught 
to turn a negative into a positive straight away. So I've learned over my my very young life that whatever negative influence or feedback comes my way, I'm going to immediately in my mind straight away turn that around as something that's positive, something that's good, and then share it. <laughs> like yes. it's not a bad thing to share it, you know. So that's where my perspective is at the moment. You know, what I think about too, Jay, is a concept I call the people portfolio. You know, we think about investments, we think about investing in stocks and bonds and mutual funds and Bitcoin. I mean, whatever the investment of choice may be. And those are the investments that grow when people know. But part of an important investing strategy is the people portfolio. Mm-hmm. Who will you choose to invest in? whether it's that young person who just needs a word of encouragement, or there's a group of students that I will text each week that were part of our business club that have now gone on to graduate. Some have gotten married, but it's just my way of keeping in touch each week to say, Hey, I'm thinking of you. Here's a word of encouragement. It may be taking somebody to lunch just to say, Hey, let me, let me hear about your idea. Or, you know, a story I would tell you, there was a woman that we know that had a musical gift Mm-hmm. and wanted to produce a CD so she could then do camps around the country. And she just needed a couple hundred dollars, but that was all that stood between her and fulfilling her dream. And so my wife and I just get, got some money to her anonymously and we forgot about it. And then the the CD comes out in the cover. It says, and whoever, whoever gave me this anonymous money know that you helped me start my dream and impact the lives of many, many people. And so I only say that, and I said it very humbly because even small dollar amounts, when you listen, you're investing in people. And also I think about, you know, I think about young people as part of that portfolio. You've got small caps and mid caps and large caps. That just denotes the size of the company, Mm. but a small cap people portfolio is that younger person, fresh wisdom, not tainted by 20, 30 years of so-called life experience. Mm. They have no holds barred. They see things completely new. That's a good perspective to listen to and embrace. But also the, the person who's deeper into retirement, who's lived a full life, reflecting on what mistakes have they made? What would they want to do differently? What are they proud of? Mm. And measuring those two together, combining those two stories can really, I think, add just a lot of meaning to what we're doing. Mm. You know, even, even talking to you today, you know, my goal is to leave this podcast interview that, hey, one person is thinking that makes sense. I want to be part of this good money revolution. I want to really begin making an impact. And heck, he even taught me that I can make more money and help change the world and do more good. I mean, that's that's what I want is people to embrace just that one that one small change. That story that you shared, I will be honest, it gave me chills, like mm. down my spine because I, I feel I feel that and I've seen that. I've seen the power that you giving to someone has, whether it's your story, financially, your time, whatever it is, it can make an impact. And I think your message, especially with, hey, if you can make an impact and make money, like, sure, <laughs> sign me right, up. Right, you know, all in. Like, yeah, yeah. Go all in. So, no, nah, man, this, is, this, has been, this has been an awesome conversation. I've got two more final questions to sort of tie everything up in a nice little bow so we can, okay. for everyone to unbox later on. <laughs> right. okay. um, so this question, I, I sort of wanted to ask you because I think you might, you might like it. I mean, I, I laughed when you said the, the nose, the nose thing, because, you know, I, I had the same problem in school. People would laugh at me. They called me a wog, but I'm not really a wog. Um, right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what do you love the most about yourself and your story? That's a hard question. But what I would say is I am comfortable betting on myself. Because I know even if I lose that one bet, I have a higher winning average than a losing average. Mm. And I believe that's likely to continue because of my wanting to keep growing and doing the growth by serving other people. You know, it's one thing to just have, as you mentioned earlier, that pursuit of money. I'm chasing the money, but that ends up in futility. 
But if, if you can keep betting on yourself and keep seeking wisdom and really just asking God for wisdom is what I do on a daily basis. That to me has been the key. If you could ask God for one thing right now to happen, what would you ask for? Well, I probably ask him for the great quality guests that you've had on your podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but let's go to a second question. You know, it's funny because growing up, wisdom for me was always something I've always sought after. You know, there's a story in the Bible about you can ask for anything you want, riches or wisdom, and, and he asks for wisdom. Solomon does. That's what I want. You know, because a great name, as the Bible says, is better than great riches. And if I can be respected by the people who I respect, and I can make a difference in even one person's life, they breathed easier, they breathed easier because I've lived, that to me is a life well lived. Is anything missing currently in your life? Um, no, I mean, I, I feel like from where my goals are, I'm right in line. Mm. But my life, Jay, is never, ever complete. You know, I, I never am completely content. And I don't say that in a negative way, mm. because I like to keep driving. You know, when I sold this company, people ask, Derek, how's retirement? I say, no, no, no. It's simply rewirement is what has occurred. <laughs> I <like it. laughs> so I'm building another company, launching this brand, really putting, again, taking the risk on myself again. Do I wish I had more more time in the day to do it? Yes. But ultimately, no, I can't say there's anything that I'm not lacking, but I want to keep driving to make more people's lives better. And for them to look back on their lives and say, I, I laid it all on the court. Mm -hmm. I gave it all. And I made the impact that I could have. I don't want there to be any regrets. If I can help people remove regrets from their life, that to me makes my life even more worth living. I don't even know if I should ask you my final question, which is my all-time favorite question. <laughs> that sort of like, to me, answered it. But um, okay, I'll ask it anyway, just because I'm curious to hear your, what, you, you, what you'll say. Um, you've heard the, me, me ask this question a lot of times to many, many different guests. So you've had an opportunity to sort of digest uh, the question, but... It's a hypothetical one, but imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? What I go back to is there are so many people I meet that are pushing their dream on other people, on their kids, their grandkids, and they want to live that out through them. I want to look at my kids, my grandkids, whoever's in the room that day and see that they have lived the life God gave for them to the fullest capacity. That is, it was in my power, I was the best potential extractor for all those people. And for them to say, Dad, you either helped me or you just got out of the way. And all of that helped me achieve what I felt like was inside me to achieve. That to me is to have lived a full life. Just putting the bow right on the top of the box right there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Derek, for your time today, your story, your wisdom all your advice, everything that you are putting out there into the world and building. I'm excited to see where it goes and you never know, you know, hopefully you, you will be able to get, I have no doubt actually, you, you will be able to get some of the guests that have been fortunate enough and I've been blessed enough to actually speak to, but where can people find you and connect with you and learn more about you? Yeah. So first of all, Jay, it has been a pleasure to be on your podcast. I have loved our conversation and again, you teach me so much just about how you bring out the best in your guests. And that's doing your listeners a great service. So thank you. It's been a real honor for me to be with you today. You can reach me uh, two places. First of all, on Instagram is a great way to follow us at Derek T. Kenny, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, the letter T is in Tom, 
Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y. And then also at goodmoneyframework.com is our website where we've got some downloadables. The Good Money Framework can, can be downloaded. Also some uh, really some great value added material for people uh, free of charge. We just want to help really reshape the discussion around money. And I think this will help get people started and help reshape the conversation they can have with those people they love. Derek Kinney, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. It's been great to be here. Thank you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm